Today's reading is the whole of Psalm 44, and that can be found on pages 5, 6, 8 in the Church Bible. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies and put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this has happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals, and covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord! Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Please do be seated. I want to begin this morning by telling you about a few of my friends. None of them are from St. John's or or live in uh, this part of the world. Let me begin by telling you briefly about Sam. Uh, Sam was married to Chris. They had two fantastic children. They were active in their local church, a great example uh, to those of us who knew them. And then one day, Chris decides that he doesn't actually love Sam anymore, 
and he just ups and leaves. No one else is involved. But Sam is left fearfully contemplating life as a a single mum. All her hopes and dreams for the the future now lie in in tatters. So many questions, questions about the practicalities of, of, of just surviving, questions about feeling so utterly betrayed and isolated. And she finds herself asking, is God really in control? Why does he hide his face? Or what about Hassan, uh, who I first met 10 years ago, a native of Mosul in northern Iraq. He came to the UK um, expectant um, of a a good tertiary education, and uh, he suddenly found himself marooned in this country. He was unable to go home because ISIS had swept through Iraq. He was forced to watch in horror from a distance as his city was overrun, destroyed, his home occupied, and his family fled and became refugees overnight. He was asking, is God really in control here? Why is he hiding his face? Then I want to tell you about Richard and Jenny. I remember uh, being with them at the funeral um, of their stillborn baby. Still gets me emotional, this one. Um, for years they tried to, to con- conceive, uh, been unable, and then God seemingly answered uh, their prayers. Jenny had f- um, finally fallen pregnant. And then God allowed a baby to die in her womb just one week from term. I found myself asking, is God really in control here? Why is he hiding his face from my friends? And then I want you to forget about Cameron. Cameron was still uh, well, struggling to fit in at a new school. He was picked on and he was bullied for his faith. He was longing just for one good friend uh, who he could trust find himself completely bewildered. Is God in control? Why does he hide his face? I could go on, couldn't I? In circumstances uh, that I'm sure you can relate to, circumstances of loneliness, of depression, of, of being overwhelmed in sickness, circumstances when you look around and you see abuse or you're involved and receiving abuse, You look around and you see famine, war, exploitation. Why does God hide his face? This is what uh, uh, we're calling the sermon this morning. It's straight out of Psalm 44, so please turn back to Psalm 44 um, if you have those Bibles in front of you or if you want to have a look at it um, on, uh, on your phone. We're beginning a a new short series um, in in the Psalms uh, over the summer. And Psalm 44 gives us a lot to ponder as we question God's um, apparent inaction, if you like, in so many different situations. And I don't know what it is uh, for you right now that you may be struggling with. Um, I don't know what it is that's got you causing to question the Almighty about what on earth is going on in, in his creation but if you've got blood pumping through your veins, then I'm, I'm, I'm willing uh, to, to, to take a punt uh, that there is something. If not going on for you right now, maybe something that's happened recently. If not, then expect there to be something in the not-too-distant future. We're human. It's part of our experience, our DNA, isn't it? To question God. 
to doubt, to wrestle with difficult questions. And one of the reasons I love uh, the, the scripture so much is because it, it, it's, it's honest, particularly in this part, it's addressing um, questions that we all have, questions that we, we all ask when we're re- wrestling. There's no sugarcoating here. There's no uh, sort of empty um, piffles, any superficiality. It is just deep, passionate, raw honesty. Why do you hide your face? The psalmist uh, asks here in Psalm 24. Why do, you, why do you forget our misery and oppression? Rise up, this is verse 26, and help us. Let's pray as we get into this psalm. Heavenly Father, we simply ask uh, for your help this morning. Please would you use your word to encourage us, to teach us how to keep trusting you, even when it appears that you are not acting. Please, Lord, rise up and come to our help by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we get into the psalm itself, let me just give you a couple of uh, sort of introductory uh, comments that I hope will serve us well as we uh, go through this morning and indeed um, over the summer. Firstly, about the psalms in general. Um, Much has been written about this unique book of the Bible. Uh, Some describe it as prayer. Some describe it as as poetry, a songbook. Uh, None of that's wrong. And actually, all of that sort of helps contribute to our understanding of the psalms as a very unique uh, book. And if we think of maybe, when we think of the Bible, when we think of the whole of Scripture, so, you know, maybe it would be help to think, you know, we, we tend to think of that, don't we, as, as download. It's God talking to us. It's divinely inspired download, yeah, to, 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 to us um, via historians, via prophets, um, uh, via the apostles. And, and if, if most of the Bible is kind of download, then when we think of the Psalms, maybe it's helpful to think of the Psalms more of upload, you know, there are human responses, if you like, to, to God's revelation. They're human responses to specific situations at specific times, not all of which we can identify with, with absolute certainty. But here's the important bit. Despite the fact that the Psalms are more upload rather than, than, than download, they are still divinely inspired. And as such, Generations of believers have understood them to be this divinely, if you like, authorized response of prayer and praise and, and pleading with the Lord. So in that sense, we, we know that we can use the Psalms and we can, we can say them ourselves and we can allow them to, to inform and we can read into them our own um, sort of contemporary uh, situations and our own contemporary, if you like, um, communication with God. That's, a, that's the first thing, more upload than download. Second thing to note concerns this psalm specifically, Psalm 44. Psalm 44 is a corporate lament. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a, a lament for the nation of Israel as Israel reflects on defeat in battle. So try not to get too distracted by the fact that sometimes the psalm uses we and sometimes it uses I. All that is, that's just a stylistic tool um, that the psalm's authors, who are, who are identified here as the, um, the, the sons of Korah, they're musicians, um, that they're using this as a stylistic tool, if you like, to help the nation personalize the corporate um, reflection at key significant points. So... When we find ourselves questioning, 
as we do, don't we, why God hides his face and whether he is really in control. What do these sons of Korah, what do these musicians who have put this psalm together, what do they have to teach us through what we know as Psalm 44? I have three headings uh, for us this morning. Um, there are sheets, hopefully, um, if, you, if you needed a sheet. Um, there are some, these headings are on here, but they'll come up on, this, on the screen as well. Firstly, we need to take confidence from God's sovereignty in the past. Take confidence from God's sovereignty uh, in the past. And I'm going to read from verse, verse 1. We have heard... With our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. There is something really significant about reminding ourselves of what God has done in the past. And not just reminding ourselves, uh, but ensuring that the next generation is reminded and is indeed taught as well to remember what God has done. Partly, of course, this is why we gather week by week to remember, to remind ourselves, and to encourage each other to keep trusting in the Lord that, that God is in control. Partly this is why it is good to have those of you uh, who are with us this morning who are aged 11 to 18 who may otherwise be out in, in, in a group and, and have, you, have you join us in these services over the summer. Because not only do you get to have your own groups where, where you are reminded of these things, but you begin to be aware of what God has done and is doing through the whole of this church family and allow them to speak into that as well. And so we need to both teach our young people and remind everyone what God has done. Why? Because left to our own devices, what are we likely to do? We are likely to forget. That's why we do it. That's why we come, to remind ourselves, to encourage each other. So as I read these verses, from what you know, you know, from what you have been told, whether that's in your Sunday group if you are 11 to 18, whether that's... Uh, if you're an adult, what you've heard in church, whether it's your own Bible reading, what you've heard in the past, from what we know, from what you have been told, try and think which of God's mighty deeds the sons of Korah had in mind when they uh, wrote this. With your hand, you, that's God, God drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. So, from what you know, from what you have been told, from what you have heard from of old, what do you think? What comes to mind? Anybody? Exodus, Exodus yeah. Anything, any more? Entering yeah, entering the promised land, yeah, absolutely. This seems to describe, doesn't it, verse 2 seems to describe this time when God has, has led his people um, out of captivity into the promised land and planted them there. Afflicting and driving other nations out in the process. I, I remember reading this psalm with, uh, with my youngest son uh, a few years ago uh, now. Um, he's away at the moment, it's okay, he can't be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> and I remember asking him as a child of, of, of nine or ten at the time, I think it was, a similar question. And um, at that point, through God's grace, he had been taught enough to answer correctly. And I said to him, you know, what, what do you think they're referring to, his son? He, he, said, he said, Canaan. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, great. <laughs> now, please don't get me wrong. I share that story, not to either big Thomas up or his parents, because um, 
He knows just uh, how much um, we have failed him in that, in that regard. But more to share the fact that for me it was a moment when the responsibility of, 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 that I have been given as a father to pass on, to make sure that the next generation is info, informed and, and told of what the Lord has done in the past. It was, it was a moment where that responsibility hit home for me. We all have a responsibility. This isn't just a lesson for fathers or for, for grandfathers. It is for the whole church. We all have a responsibility to tell our children of the good things that God has done. We have a, a responsibility to teach them true history, to true his story. If you thought, you know, if you, you, you've heard that before, history is God's story, his story, history. We have a responsibility to teach it as revealed in Scripture. We have this responsibility to, to let them know the deeds that God has performed in the days of old. And particularly for our younger folk who are with us this morning, I would want to say to you, listen and learn from your parents and from your leaders, from your brothers and sisters in here. I know that it can be hard sometimes to concentrate. We all, we all struggle with that. But there is so much to discover about God's faithfulness to his people in the past that will give you great hope and great comfort as you go through life and into the future. That's kind of an aside. Let's get, let's get back, to the, back to the text. Um, if verse 1 and 2 seem to be about the promised land, what about verse 3? Verse 3 says, It was not by their sword uh, that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. So what comes to mind here for us? I don't know, maybe the conquest of Jericho. Maybe Gideon's victory over Midian with a vastly inferior armed force. I mean, I don't know, maybe something different came, came to mind. We could choose other examples, but the point is this. God has acted decisively in human history. And we need to take confidence from the fact that he has done, done that. But it's not just God acting in ancient history that we are encouraged to remember. The, the, the sons of Korah here also encourage the nation to remember what God has done in more recent battles. This is verse 4 and following. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I, my sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. You know, despite military success, God's people are encouraged not to just trust here in their bow, not to just trust in their, in their sword, but to acknowledge that it is God who is at work in and through uh, their action. I don't know about you, but I can't help but wonder what, would have, what it would be like if this psalm had been written in more contemporary times. 1940, perhaps. Not in our spitfires do we trust, nor can our Navy save us. I remember conversations with uh, veterans of the Second World War, such as my, my grandfather and, and others, who would attribute success uh, at places like Dunkirk, um, if we can call Dunkirk a success, most people would do, um, during the Battle of Britain, D-Day. They would attribute that su success 
to God. They couldn't describe it any other way. It was he who saved us, they said. Sadly, of course, unlike verse 8 of the psalm, few have boasted in him continually and given thanks for his name ever since as a result of that wartime salvation. Far from it. That's one example of remembering God acting in, acting in recent history, and even that may seem a, a long way away uh, for us today. What would the psalmist write in 2022? Not in our vaccines do we trust, nor can a mask or lockdown save us. Appreciate that might sound a little bit controversial, but I hope you get the point. Ultimately, it is God who protects. Ultimately, it is God who gives us the victory. And friends, look, if you've got any doubt about God's sovereignty in the past, I would encourage you to simply look back to your own conversion. Whether you can identify a a single point in time for your conversion or whether your conversion experience, uh, like many of us, is, is more a sort of a process over a period of time. Either way, that is a massive miracle of salvation. Massive. What do we say? For not in my decision to follow you do I trust Nor can my achievements save me. Nor can my regular church attendance save me. But you, you, you save me. St. John's, I want to encourage you to, to think about how the Lord has sustained you and provided for you over the years. Supported you. Take confidence from God's sovereignty in the past. And as verse 8 says, use it to praise his name forever. As we read these first few um, verses of Psalm 48, we could be forgiven for thinking that this is going to be one of those um, stonkingly good praise and thanksgiving kind of psalms, you know, um, that just sort of goes in that direction. But in verse 9, things take a very different turn. We move, if you like, from gratefully looking back to the past. Uh, From gratefully looking back to the past to we move to the present. And to an honest sort of evaluation of what is going on in the uh, the problems of the present. This is the title of uh, a second point this morning. Acknowledge the problems of the present. And I think the sons of Korah do do that by, they they identify two problems actually. uh, Two problems that are common to believers, have been common to believers throughout, uh, throughout time. Firstly, there is the problem of rejection and disgrace. And secondly, there is the problem of disaster despite faithfulness. So firstly, rejection and disgrace. Verse 9, and, and note the really obvious change of gear here. And there's a, there's a, a little pause at the end of verse 8, Selah, that most commentators think that means pause or, or just take time. So they're encouraging us to pause at the end of verse 8. And then here's this gear change. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. The people are crying out to the Lord here. Why does it appear that you are no longer with us? Why aren't we winning? Why aren't things going better for us? We're on your side. You're supposed to be on our side. 
and then just glance down through these next verses. We get a sense here of the defeat, of the uh, rejection, of the disgrace that the people are enduring. Verse 10, you made us retreat before the enemy. Our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gathering nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn, the derision of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. Other translations say we're a laughingstock. We're just a laughingstock, God. Interestingly, though, here, in this, there's no doubting that God is still in control. There's no doubting that he's still in charge. But the reality of the present is great suffering. And as verse 15 says, disgrace and shame and being taunted and reviled. In other words, these people are hated and they are loathed. For those of us who look back on better days of cultural acceptance of of Christianity in, in this country and fear for where we are now and where we will be in the future, these verses should serve as a bit of a wake-up call to us. This is the experience of the present for God's people. Rejection and disgrace. But it gets worse. Because secondly, this disaster is despite faithfulness. This disaster is despite faithfulness. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God's people were suffering in this way at this time? Why? The psalm clearly says that God has rejected them and that the enemy has the upper hand. So why? I'm not a betting man, but I am willing to take another point here, another point punt here, that most of us are thinking something along the lines of it's something they've done. Maybe it's their sin. Maybe they've moved away from God. God is rejecting them. He's abandoning them because of the wrong things or or the, or the bad things that they must have done. But look down at verse 17. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you, all been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. Whew. Again, we need to recognize this truth, church. Disaster has occurred despite faithfulness. Now, true, sometimes disaster and suffering are caused directly by our own stupidity and our sin and our hard-heartedness and our rebellion. But that is not what this psalm seems to be addressing here. We need a healthy realization that disaster can and will strike in our lives despite faithfulness. That was certainly the case for Sam, whose husband had left her. It was certainly the case for Richard and Jenny, who lost their unborn child. For Hassan, who found himself homeless and his family uh, a refugee. For Cameron at school. I'm sure you can testify to things in your own lives too, which have caused you to say, why? Why? 
Lord, why? And what this psalm teaches us is, is that we don't need to pretend otherwise. It's okay to come to the Lord and to question what is going on. It's okay to come to, come to the Lord and say, do you know what, God, it all seems so unfair. It's okay to come to the Lord and say, do you see what's happening to me? You know, very often the things, the, the problems that we encounter in life are faith-stretching. They stretch our faith. They cause us to question. And we have to be honest about that. Honesty here needs to be our template, but not, not in an angry or a disrespectful way, but in an open way before God, in a pure way before God, in a respectful one. And when we do that, we also need to understand that sometimes there is, there is no obvious explanation. We're asking for it. We're asking that question, why? But there isn't always an obvious explanation. The, the sons of Korah give, give no reason here as to why the people are suffering in the way described. Um, indeed, we could say that, that their psalm serves as a, an illustration of the often bewildering experience that we all face as, as, as believers. Sometimes times of great blessing. And then sometimes times of, of, of barrenness. Times when God appears close and we feel right there with the Lord. Other times when we can hardly acknowledge or feel his presence at all. Times of great growth and understanding and then times of stagnation and, and confusion. This is our experience, isn't it? This is the lived Christian experience, honestly, frustratingly, but that is what it is. And just when we might be tempted to think, well, you know, is it just hopeless? Why? <laughs> Why bother then? This psalm changes gear again. <laughs> it's gone through one gear change. It changes gear again. Look down to verse 22. Yet for your sake, we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That phrase, for your sake, it's a really interesting one. I think it's key to unlocking what's going on here and to understanding the problems in the present Listen to how one commentator describes why. He says this, he says, The psalm does not develop it, that phrase, for your sake. The psalm does not develop that phrase, but it implies the revolutionary thought that suffering may be a battle scar rather than a punishment. The price of loyalty in a world which is at war with God. If this is so, he says, if this is so, a reverse, as well as a victory, may well be a sign of fellowship with him and not alienation. In other words, when we acknowledge the, the, the problems of the present, when we acknowledge the, 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 the problems that, that sort of still occur despite our faithfulness, when we deal with ridicule, when we deal with hatred and, 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 and opposition of the world, when we deal with the apparent randomness of all kinds of suffering, we do so in the knowledge that far from being the punishment of a distant God, far from that, they're actually a reassurance of his presence 
with us. Which I hope on one level is a massive comfort for us this morning. Really helpful comfort. However, the fact still remains, doesn't it, that even if this truth, if it, 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 you know, even if we say this truth to ourselves, and even if we say this truth to each other, and even if I state this truth from the pulpit to you, even if we believe it with our minds, we still from time to time have to deal with the reality of our feelings and our emotions, don't we? So how do we do that? How do we do that? It's not easy. And having, having looked back in the past and taken confidence from God's sovereignty then, having honestly addressed the problems of the present, the sons of, of, of Korah now encourage God's people to trust in his sovereignty for the future. This is, this is our third and final point for this morning. Trust in God's sovereignty for the future. You know, and in, interestingly, in what many can consider to perhaps be the, the, the high point of Scripture, um, uh, uh, the, the sort of pinnacle of Scripture, one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, Romans 8. In the middle of Romans 8, Paul quotes this psalm, verse 22. Maybe you want to just briefly turn to, to Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles. Um, if, you, if you turn there... It'll come up on the screen as well, but it is good to look at it in our Bibles. Romans 8, I'm going to uh, just read from verse 35. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul writes? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Here we go. As it is written, I'm now going to quote to you. Psalm 44, Paul says, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, as we trust in God's sovereignty for the future, I think we need to follow Paul's lead here. It is a challenge as we face problems, as we face suffering, as we face persecution. It is a challenge to keep relying on God. But do you see what he's saying? In all these things, all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not some, all. All things. Not just the ones we can handle. All things. Not just the ones we've got experience of. No, all things. Not just the ones where it feels right and, and feels good and, and our emotions are telling us it's okay. No, all things, all emotions, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not only that, but Paul continues, nothing will separate us from God's steadfast love. This is verse 38. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can see why some people consider this to be the pinnacle of scripture, can't you? I love this part of God's word. I find it so wonderfully reassuring. If we are believing and trusting in Jesus, then these are the truths that we need to keep reading. 
We need to keep stating. We need to keep putting ourselves in positions where we keep hearing them and we keep allowing ourselves to believe them, allowing them then to permeate from our heads down into our hearts. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Keep saying it to yourself. Keep saying it to each other. Keep saying it to other people. Keep encouraging each other. Christ Jesus our Lord has seen to it that by dying on the cross... In our place, by defeating death, rising three days later, he has seen to it that nothing, nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Whatever it is that you are struggling with, and I know if you are anything like me, there must be quite a bit. Whatever it is, would you keep saying those things? To yourself? Will you allow yourself to be in a position where you allow other people to say them to you? Please do not give up on God. He has not, and He will not give up on you. I chose those examples um, at the start. They're not their real names, by the way, but I chose them. Because all of them, to this day, are trusting in God's sovereignty for their futures. And as I said at the start, they continue to serve as great examples to me of what it means to to follow Jesus. All of them have questioned what God is doing, why he's doing it. But none of them have ever denied his sovereignty and his ultimate goodness, despite Many trials, many shared tears, and many questions. And as I say, they serve as examples to me of what it means to prayerfully live out these next uh, verses in Romans 8 and the final verse in Psalm 44. Rise up and help us. Redeem us. Redeem us, O Lord, because of your unfailing love. Enduring suffering, coping with frustration, dealing with both the mountaintop and the desert experience. All are done for his glory, not for our glory. For his glory and in response to his steadfast, his unfailing love to us. Let's pray. Father, as we reflect on your word, we acknowledge again the reality that so often we cry out to you and we do not understand why things happen. And we confess, Lord, that sometimes it seems to us like you have hidden your face. Father, I want to pray for each one of us here that you would encourage us to speak these truths to each other that you are in control, that you are sovereign, that you have been sovereign in the past and that we can trust you into the future. Oh Lord, we thank you for your steadfast and unfailing love. 
And we pray uh, in thanks of that truth that nothing in all of your creation can separate us from that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.